Welcome to Inside the Juno Reactor. People on this podcast will either have had a major impact, a small impact, or absolutely no impact whatsoever on my journey. This week is Zigron, a music editor who was with me for six months, the time I was in LA for Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions. He helped me in so many different situations, learning how to score, he taught me so much. And I hope you gain a lot from his wisdom and these conversations inside the Juno Reactor. Well, hi, Zig. Nice to see you. Welcome to the first Juno Reactor podcast. And we're going back in time to sort of, I don't know, reload the past. And... Um, Resurrupt. <laughs> Resurrect. And I think there'll be a lot of Matrix fans who'll appreciate your look back at time and how you started. And I mean, I saw that you started in like 93 doing music editing. Yeah, 93 or 94, but somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. And so like with the Matrix, you were you started really early on on Matrix 1. And how was that sort of involvement and how did it all come together? Well, I had... I, I was working in the spring of that year uh, of 1998. I was working on Lethal Weapon 4 for Dick Donner and Joel Silver. And one of the producers had been going back and forth from Australia where they were shooting this strange movie that there was a little buzz about. And um, a lot of buzz about actually because uh, one of the producers I remember came into the mix while we were mixing Lethal Weapon 4 and said, oh my God, I just saw bullet time. <laughs> so, uh, so that was my first, like, what? Bullet time? Hmm? And, and so um, I'd been in touch with Joel and I said, you know, I'd love to, to work, you know, on this film. It sounds fantastic. And he said, well, I have no creative control over it. It's completely with these, the directors. They've written it, is written so that they have full control. But I'll put in a word for you, he said. I never heard anything. And then suddenly in, I'd say probably September, after, at the end of the summer, I got a call from Australia and it was Zach Steinberg. It was the editor. And he told me, you know, I hear you're interested in working on this film. And he said, I'll set up an appointment and I'll let you know. Well, a couple of nights later, we're having a dinner party and we just finished off probably a bottle of wine each of all, each of our guests and the phone rings and it's Australia. And Zach's like, hi, I got the guys on the phone for you. No pre, pre previous message or anything. And I just thought, oh my God, this is not the time I want to interview for this job that I really wanted. So I. I actually confessed. I said, look, if I don't make a lot of sense, it's because I've just been drinking. We have a party here. I wasn't expecting the call. And, and I think it was Lana Larry at the time and said, well, you know, Zig, we, we're, we've been known to party ourselves a little bit. So we understand we're fine with that. And so, so that was it. And that might've actually helped me get the job. I, I really don't know, but about a couple of days later, they said, yeah, you're hired. We'd like to fly you over to Australia. And I said, great, uh, can I get there about a week early because of the jet lag and just to get acclimated? And they said, sure. So they were really, really accommodating from the very beginning. It was, it was a real 
great job to work on. It's one of the few films that I really, really felt very proud to be a part of. I just can't say that about very many other Hollywood films, and I worked on about 60 of them. It was really a great experience from the very beginning. And anyway, so I, I went down there, and after a week, I sat down, started, and, and imagine I was seeing The Matrix fresh off the press because the editing room was right next door. So even before they'd send some stuff over to Dane back in the United States, uh, the sound supervisor, but for music, I was, I believe, one of the first to see it. A lot of the images were already there. And the editing was, was actually pretty tight. There wasn't a lot of cutting between the first version and the last, which is just, I'm just setting that up because it's very different from most films that I'd worked on up until that point. And, and again, I'd probably been only working on films for about five or six years at that point. So, I mean, I ended up being, you know, working about almost 25. So, so this was really, you know, when I look back, it's sort of the beginning of my career. Uh, in a lot of ways. And, and so there was a lot of growth, I think, that happened. That was really fun. When you, first, when you first saw the Matrix film itself, how did you react to it? When I first saw the Matrix, back then it was on 20-minute uh, reels, tape, videotape. The original came on videotape, no quick time movies. So what, I think I saw reel one and two. And I mean, come on, that first scene, which they you know, redid in the fourth one with, you know, from different points of view, of course, but it was that scene was the first thing I saw. And I was just, every shot just felt like, wow, this, just knocking me out, you know, my socks off. Just everything I saw was just incredible. And then the daunting thing of like, oh my God, you know, put some music to it. <laughs> Don had already been employed, didn't he? And he'd been writing music for it. Why were you brought in? Were you brought in for the contemporary style? No, actually, music. I was I was brought in for uh, I think originally just to temp it, just so that we could see how it would play with music, score and orchestra. And what were and, you temping uh, it with? Well, I had a little discussion with Don actually before I left for Austria. He said, "What are you thinking about using?" And I said, "Well, I was thinking about um, sound mass, you know, Ligeti, Penderecki, the usuals, with techno." Because uh, this is what the instructions that I got from the Wachowskis. First thing they said to me was, the score is, hasn't been written, obviously, and we want something really original. We don't want, you know, just like someone to come in and take Q5 from, you know, name your thriller, you know, Hollywood thriller and put it into this, our movie. We want there to be something uh, different about it. So immediately I started thinking in terms of, of you know, the Stanley Kubrick use, usage of, of uh, contemporary composers. And that was pretty much in line with what Don was thinking, although he said, I want to do minimalism. I really want it to be a minimalist score. So I did load up on a lot of Philip Glass, Stephen Reich, John Adams, sure. Uh, I, I mean, think Don's like some, a massive sort of John Adams yeah. fan, isn't he? Yeah, and I think there was some Hermano Lear, that great piece from John Adams. I think it was in the original, I'm, I'm not sure. But, but I, I also, so I mean, the first, probably two weeks I was, I was, uh, in Australia, I just listened to music, uh, while they were still, cause they had just finished filming. And, uh, and so they were just beginning the assembly cut, but I, I think when I arrived and so I just like listened to so much techno and which ones of the original techno tracks did, uh, you bring in that actually got used? I don't think any of them were, but the places were used. The, the places that I found to use and switch from 
from the orchestra, pure orchestra to just techno or a combination of techno and orchestra, those places were kept. And, uh, except for there was one other techno area I had, but that, but Don ended up doing more of an orchestral approach to it. When they, they go back into the ho hotel and they see the cat, this is matrix one and they see the cat repeated and the, uh, the, the deja vu moment and the, that area had more of a techno feel in there and it just became orchestra. So. Uh, I don't know. I, I didn't make that decision, but I gave them, you know, that, that's what I was finding as I was doing which it. Of, uh, which sort of of the bands that you were using in Australia that were in your temp score that never got used? Oh, that's, uh, I'd have to, I wish I could remember. <laughs> I do know that what I did was I went to Tower Records and I got probably about 100 CDs of every techno that they had in there and a lot of it as you well know it's not very good i think a lot of it's like not appropriate rather than not being so good yeah because yeah. you can like have Just a like, track that's that's amazing on the dance floor but when you chuck it in a film it's doesn't have the right feeling exactly and and just like the the, the minimalism i was finding on the orchestral end of it was inappropriate as well because Wachowski's kept saying we need to be more gothic more gothic they wanted this gothic feel up to the orchestra and it, it and so you know you're not going to get gothic from philip glass and and most any of those uh minimalists i mean like what don started with the very beginning with those clarinets and all that that was just like wow okay <laughs> you know but it was really one of the the first films i worked on where the directors had a really, really good idea about what they wanted. They didn't know how to exactly what it was. Yeah. They just kind of knew. They knew they had a what great they wanted. Feeling for their film. Yeah. Like, that, like that's uh, always like with the meetings that we had that right. were always very particular and very, very I thought I thought they were the best. Like I've had a lot of producers in my life come in to do records, produce records for me. And they were so much better, so much yeah. better at bringing ideas to the table, putting a thought in your brain, all of these type of things. But moving on from that section from the first film, like you then said to me once that there was the curse of the Matrix, that like after the Matrix, you'd be bombarded with work. And I don't think you worked for like a year or two years or something like it was, that. It was slow going for me. And I, I was a little bit surprised by that. Uh, cause I, I hadn't really burned any bridges by that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so, always a fun, was, a fun was, side sport, was, isn't it? To I, filmmaking. I hadn't been fired off of film. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was pretty clean as they say, I don't know the reason for it. So what happened was, uh, just to continue on. So attempt just to get through the, the basic stuff for anybody that doesn't know why people do. Yeah, yeah. The reason why you do attempt is. Even if the composer's hired and is away writing, by the time they're going to create a soundtrack, it, it, well, they're not going to be able to do it in time that you want to have to, to screen it for the producers. So you have to have, and, and the producers, even back then in the, in the 90s, they, they had to have everything. They wanted sound effects. They wanted mu the obvious sound effects. They wanted music. They wanted it to feel as as much like it, the finished product as, as it can be. 
that's what a temp editor can do because I can obviously, you know, just cut in, even if I'm doing three or four tracks of, of rhythm and orchestra and maybe some choir or, you know, so, something like that, I, I, you know, I can do that way faster than someone working, you know, on, uh, you know, every note, doing every note. We know that there was a lot of notes in there. So, you know, that, that although Don was so in, I, the upshot of it is that Don was so inspired that by the time we got to the first temp, with, now I'm talking like November, the first temp was in January. By the time we got there, he had written most of the music for all the orchestra parts. And the only thing that was left for my temp for the first, this is the first temp screening. The studio heads had already heard it with my soundtrack and the mixers, people who were going to be working on it eventually, they all heard the, the temp that I had created, but, but Don replaced all, all that stuff already. He was just so, I'd never been, you know, with, uh, worked on another film like that, where the composer was just like replacing my stuff like faster, than, <laughs> almost faster than I was, you know, cutting out. I think the but don't comes from, don't comes from that sort of TV, um, approach, doesn't he? Where he, he writes stuff very quickly or he can do. He did on this one, and and he told yeah. me in fact because I I think I said wow Todd I you know you can't they're really cranking it out and he just said you know just yeah coming from <laughs> writing a lot of you know shit I mean now I I just I can't stop I can't put the pen down you know so <laughs> so it was good in a way and so but but bad for me because they let me go and because uh, they said hey we don't you know we don't need you anymore we're going out of the final Don had his own music editor. And, uh, at the time. And, uh, so I, I just said, okay. And then I got a call maybe a week or two later, just, just before they were starting the final. And I think, I don't know what happened. I, I, I can only speculate, but they asked me, they said, Hey, you know, those areas that you had the techno in? And I'm just like, I said, sure. And they, well, we want to get, you know, we want to replace those with some other techno and we're going to send uh, a music supervisor over to work with you. And I said, sure. Great. Sounds good. So Jason came by and had all these ideas and I went and listened to, he gave me his ideas and then I listened to stuff and I said, well, you know, this one is definitely more in the right tempo. I would cut in about two or three, maybe alternates. And then the Wachowskis came over to my house, listened to the takes, the, the possibilities and say, yeah, I like that one, which was an ongoing thing that we had. That, that was part of our relationship because the, the techno that I was using in Australia was so crap. You know, I don't think I had any Juno Reactor. Uh, I did have Prodigy. They were in the trailer, the original trailer. We used their music. Okay. So a lot of the music was just so bad. And I would cut in to, and, and then I would create a whole like cue out of this on the based on this, some kind of, you know, ostinato. And then they would come in and say, Ooh, I don't like that. <laughs> like, like you don't like this, you know, and I would solo the parts, you know, like, oh, you don't like this thing and identify what they didn't like. Right. And then say, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I tell, okay. <laughs> so, you know, what do you like? You know, and then I would play different, you know, grooves for them and finally go, oh, we like that. Okay. So I really left it up to them because it's really, you know, music is so uh, subjective. So, so I just, I'd left it up to them pretty much. And once I, you know, I, I just learned like, okay, hey, going forward, you know, on this one, which kind of a groove do you like for this one? And then they go, oh, we like that one. They're great. You know, and then I could, I knew 
that going in, I had the right sound that they were that really liked. So, so that kind of continued into the final because, you know, they were, they were listening to the Jason Bentley version. You know, now these were the ones that could be licensed for the movie. So we listened to those and then they decided from that. And then they were very particular about how it was cut. And they were never really satisfied as it turns out, you know, going on to the second and third one, because, you know, what happened was in the meantime, they really wanted to meld the techno and the orchestra in a way that was unsatisfying because really Don's score would stop in that first one, Don's score would stop and then it would come in with a, what we call a needle drop, right? It's just basically taken a stereo track taken right off a CD essentially. And they didn't really, they just never were really, I don't think, happy with that. This is where the sort of Juno story comes into the Matrix. It's really via you and where they gave you a bunch of Juno stuff and they asked you to cut it to the freeway chase. Well, okay, and, yeah. And then I got I got pulled into LA and they said, you know, do you want to come over for a meeting? And I thought, yeah, great. And they showed me this scene and I was like pretty blown away as you would be. Yeah. And, but you essentially, you put those cuts together, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, so that story is what happened was they shot the second and third movie at the same time. So, uh, and, and we were in touch, not very much, but a little bit. And what came up was a 10 minute trailer that not many people have seen. It was, it was mixed at Warner brothers full on mix, full on sound effects. And it was a, but it was a long trailer for the producers specifically for the money people so that they could see what their money was buying for the last two years in Australia, a year and a half at that time. Cause we, they were, they were about halfway through the shoot maybe. Well, they had already done the freeway chase and they sent me that. And there was a couple of other scenes, but it was really the whole freeway chase was in that trailer. And I caught three of your, your cues in there and they liked it. All I, I know is that they liked it. Actually, Don was going to be writing music for it and he sprained his wrist. Me and he, he and I were going to work together and he sprained his wrist and he came over to the house and he, I think he gave me some, you know, some other, uh, outtakes of the, of uh, matrix cues that he had written that weren't in the album. And he gave me just, you know, just loaded me up with any, some other Don music. And I, so I approached that trailer like a town. And I remember we did the first mix at, at Dane's uh, with the sound effects. And, and it was like, of course, the sound effects were hound cars and everything. Slides, and, you could, and the music was like this. And I was like, you know, I, it was like 10 of those guys, like all the sound effects guys together and me, you know, in the room. And I, was like, and I, I get along really great with Dane, but you know, and we sent it to them and they, they got on the phone. Larry and Andy got on the phone. Like, um, uh, Zig, you need to stick up for the music a little more because we can't hear it. <laughs> I'm like, hey, Dane, talk to Dane about it. <laughs> someone that's pushing the dials. <laughs> I had a strange meeting. I was in getting my hair cut with a mate of mine in Brighton, like two years before I went to the Matrix meeting. And this guy, Nick, said to me, oh, I hear you're in the Matrix. And I went, what? Wow. <laughs> you know, we're both literally sitting next to each other. He's having his hair cut. I'm having mine. I said, no, I haven't heard anything about that. <laughs> and then, like, about two years later, 
I mean, God knows how he knew this. Uh, two years later, I got a call from my manager saying, you know, do you fancy going over and meeting the Wachowskis and they want to talk to you about the new film? I said, F right, you know, definitely. So he jumped on the plane and went into a meeting with them. And luckily that it was one of those meetings where you know you're going to get on with these people because everything that they liked, the Hitchcock book that I really liked, the Truffaut interview, the poster on the wall of uh, Chinese ghost story, everything, it just felt really good. But I remember your temp score definitely heavily influenced the whole freeway chase because I, when it then came down to me coming over to LA and getting into the Paramore, you were then assigned to me, which... Um, was very lucky for me because I remember sort of saying to you, you know, please teach me everything you know because <laughs> I don't know about an hour. this. Uh, <laughs> it was very handy. It was really handy because I know you've worked with a lot of other composers and they sometimes the composer doesn't really want you involved. And other times, in my case, yeah. you know, I was really happy for your involvement because yeah. you would say to me, oh, you've really got to hit this, you know, because I knew really nothing about any of these mm -hmm. Things. So you were very instrumental in my ability to progress. And then we sort of very much became a team together mm -hmm. where you were then saying to me things like, oh, you know, have you this Tycho scene needs some music. So it felt like a really nice sort of partnership. But I suppose this all leads on, you know, we could go on for hours about that, you know, the workings of the Matrix 2 and Matrix 3 and what was written, and maybe we'll come back to that later, but I suppose Navras is ready because of the introduction of the new film. There's been like a lot of interest in Navras because I think it's possibly the best thing that I wrote with Don. And it's strange when you think of it, like that me and Don are the main writers. We are the writers of that track, but everyone that came into that track really had a piece of writing because it was improvisational. It was, you know, people like Azam would go off and she, because she didn't like being recorded live and everything like this. Is that right? So I don't remember that about her. Yeah, Azam didn't like, Azam hated recording. Azam so like I had, Yeah, I think I had Azam, because we were in uh, Michael, what's his name? Michael's studio in L.A.? Michael, Michael Kamen's house. Yeah. house. So I remember when I was asking Azam to come up with something, you know, I said, let's record something. She was like, oh, no, I can't do that. I'm too embarrassed. And so she went off away and came back with ideas, and then we sort of redid it as well. But um, there was a whole... I mean, I remember them saying to me that they wanted two minutes. They just wanted two minutes of essentially the idea of Don's M piece to be like two minutes of for the credits. And then when they heard it, which I think took us like a couple of days of chopping around, they said, okay, give us another two minutes. Then the guy said, they loved that. Give us another two minutes. Bollocks, just do the whole thing, you know? And I think if some, and I think about this on the way down here, that if the Wachowskis had said to me, do a nine minute track for the end section, it would have, I would have been really frightened at that prospect. But because it all came in like that, I'll oh, do two minutes. Do, oh, yeah, great. Do another two minutes. Do another two. And we had it by then. 
Yeah. So it was that whole thing of then we went back into re-record the orchestras, the choirs. But I think we had such a good uh, energy with all of the people coming down, like Lachman Shankar, Deepak Ram, Greg, my kids, <laughs> and everything, that it had a really hey, spontaneous Mabie. feel. Mabi, who's no longer here. But um, pee, I think it was quite a special time, wasn't it, I think? Yeah. Well, okay. Here's now. Maybe you don't remember it this way. I I don't remember that. I I kind of remember it being a nine minute piece. Like I'm I'm going to do the whole, you know, the whole <laughs> ending. How I remember, it, I'm I could could be completely wrong. So I like your version of it actually. So we'll go with that. But I do remember leading up to this point, all of the music that how we had collaborated was usually you starting with a track. And then adding Don to it. Now, the Burley Brawl was one where it went back and forth a few times. I don't remember how many times, but not more than three, but it went back and forth where you would do something and add some other section and then go to Don and he would write something more on top of it. And then you, you know, and then you would come it, it, it back. But anyway, my job at that point was to incorporate and help you incorporate a lot of what Don was doing. And then, of course, the Pro Tools was the final se sequence, right? Where we would replace all of Don's um, uh, little synthesizer tracks that you would be, you know, working with, like all this as a temp, right? With the real orchestra and get the 5.1s because you couldn't get 5.1s back then in the digital, digital performers. Well, I don't think um, with Navras in particular, I think Don hadn't, essentially, there was that other track that we took the piano piece from and also the vocals. Oh, no. I see. Here's, well, I thought we took. Uh, <laughs> but I remember saying ago, to Don, I remember saying to Don, ago. I'm going to have to lobotomize this because it was very, uh, it was very it John was Adams contemporary sort of thing. So it had to be made far more in it with a techno mentality to it. Yes. Um, I remember you coming to me and saying, the Wachowskis want me to do the end credit and they want me to take one of Don's pieces and turn it into a techno piece of music for the end credits. And I thought, wow, that's a great idea. And you're like, yes, and I need your help and we're going to do this. I'm going to do it at a different BPM. So we showed up at the day when Don was recording that's that cue for the movie. It's the, the rain, the big fight, uh, Agent Smith versus Neo climactic fight there at uh, matrix three and then don said okay we're gonna do it again you know don was conducting and he said okay we'll do it again at whatever bpm you had 135 and then i took and then i took those those tracks and then i was able to do steer and so this was the first time that we were doing things where i was actually feeding you pre-recorded music that like as a as a well, stereo. I think also we had to do things that like we had to make uh, the piano people play it the way we wanted it. I think that and was that, why that was really difficult because there were two pianists on that yeah. session, and right. one of them just couldn't do it. I can't remember which one. They couldn't bum, 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 give bum, it bum, that. Yeah. They just couldn't give it that feel, and so we thought, okay. Forget that. Let's do let's do the other piano player. And the other piano player went just got it straight away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, banged it out. And 
I remember we had to like alter quite a number of things in that session. A lot, a lot. Yeah. Well, then, then what I was going to say is what I did was I remember we did a little test and we knew that if I stayed in meters, uh, uh, you know, metric meters, as opposed to time or frame filled frames, my, my timeline was in, in measures. So what I would give you like two measures and then you would, you would put it into your digital performer and that they let lined up and you could just lock, you know, you could just like start looping whatever I gave you, you know, that would be just totally sunk up. Right. And then that gave you your start. And I think one of the first ones was that piano riff. And then you started taking that. Of course, we had to really work it. Now, if the two minutes that they heard that a version of that and said, yeah, keep going. Then I, I remember because we to, to fill up the areas. There was one thing, I don't remember how this came up in Deepak. You might want to ask him because he might, it might've been Deepak that suggested it. And it was that chant section when it slows down just before the real slow section, there's a chant that comes in. And then I went to back to tower records and I found that chant and, um, and then I brought it back and I was able to, it, I bought like three or four CDs of it. And I remember I got the chant like by itself and, and said like, Ben, what do you think of it? You know, like, yeah, but put it in the right key and, you know, get it in the right. It's like, I did that. I put it in the right key, the right speed, gave it to you. And then that became that, but then we had to replace it. Remember that? Cause in fact, what happened was we got in that singer to do it. We got in one of his arms, friend singers, and it sort of never sounded right. So I had to spend a day recording myself. Doing Yourself? It and you, yeah. And yeah, so I, I had think, to, and usually I, I don't, Deepak on that too, maybe? I don't no, nah. he didn't sing I mean, on that. He, 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 he sang, uh, the Sanskrit chants, but I remember and, and he I did the to, taka. Did he do the takas too? I think. Well, those well, were like yeah. weird things because I remember hearing, yeah, Deepak was just singing in the room and I went, yeah, that sounds great. Why, why didn't we do that? And so he put that down and I remember, and then him and Mabi, because like Deepak essentially started as a percussionist and um, Deepak and Mabi were like just voicing a rhythm out. And I went, wow, that's amazing. Let's chuck it in. So there were lots of these things that happened, weren't there? Where, you know, if Mabi and Deepak hadn't have been improvising. Mabi and Greg kind of overlaid some percussion, I believe, right? It's not just Mabi in there, is there? Yeah. Loads. Yeah. yeah. Greg was a savior on um, Matrix 2 because I remember we had that guy in who did, remember? He was like he came the percussionist like a, and he brought in all this stuff, remember? Well, he brought is, in is a the truck. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he was like the LA percussionist, wasn't he? And he had like a transporter come in with all of his equipment, like flight cases of shakers, taiko drums, everything. Oh, okay. And right. and really all I wanted was Mabi. And, and I remember asking him to play congas, and he had like these Latin congas, which are like wooden, yeah? And he's got like secretary hands, and they're all gentle and all Latin hands, maybe, I suppose, might be a fairer way of saying it. And they just never sounded like, Mabee I think you were looking African for a certain, percussion. You were looking for a certain feel, I think. And it just, I think you, well, I knew Mabi. I knew Mabi so well, and I've been recording Mabi. And when Mabi hits the drum, it's 
you know, the earth shakes oh. and it really oh, so he wasn't on he was an hunter. He no, came Mabee in for didn't three. Wanna, Mabee didn't want to come out of Africa for some reason. He just, I said, hey, Mabee, do you fancy coming over to LA and doing some <laughs> recording? He said, like, oh, no, man, I want to build my chicken hut <laughs> or something like that. He built his house three times and they fell down three times. Never built, they never built foundations or something. He got ripped off and... All of these things, wow. but uh, we said, no, man, I don't want to do it. I'm sort of, I'm happy here at the moment. I'm chilled. I think we were very lucky to get Greg on too, because that guy with the Arctic lorries, the percussion, it just never felt right. So when Greg turned up with a bag, literally a bag of bongos and hand percussion, it just went straight away. It was amazing. But yeah. I think on three, Greg and Mabee, became that didn't they they were like brothers yeah and they were like all of us were in... actually it was it, you know two was two was an interesting thing because i loved i loved the uh paramore uh where we were where we did a lot of the recording and, and working on a lot more cues there actually uh but the chapel you know michael Kamen's spot was just so uh special in a way i mean we we just it was a perfect area for all of us to sort of hang out and like you were mainly up in the main room at the board and then we were sort of on call you know <laughs> it was like you'd have an idea and i remember there was so we we kept you know kept feeding you different things as your ideas came up and as the piece expanded whatever um and i i remember there was a moment there uh that for about three maybe three days maybe longer you were pretty much by yourself and we just, you didn't want to be disturbed and you were basically putting it all together. You had the, you know, you had most of the transitions, you had most of the sections. We'd all, we'd, we'd, we'd all recorded them. We were all there for them, but no one really knew, you know, what it was all going to be like really. And finally, after a few days, you called us in, all of us were there. It was a night, I mean, it was a summer night at that place. It was special. It was, I remember this to the day I die. And you brought us all in, Greg, Azam, uh, Mabi, Deepak. You played it back. You hit go. And we just all sat there for nine and a half minutes or whatever, listen to this thing. And afterward, I remember we just like, oh my God, you know, we, we were hugging each other. Do you remember that? It was this great explosion of like, like, wow. I mean, I never felt like a part of something, uh, you know what I mean? Like, uh, being a part of a recording from the, from the, you know, the beginning stages right on up. And it was not for us, you know, more than, than any of them. Cause uh, like I said, all the other ones came together in different ways, you know, a piece here or a piece there. And you, you would have like, oh, I got this old track I was working on, you know, and I never really did, you know, oh yeah, there's a piece maybe that we need over here. <laughs> Let me see that thing. And I would cut it, you know what I mean? And show it to the Wachowskis. They go, yeah, go with that, you know? I'd say, this is just the beginning, you know, just, what do you think? And then they go, yeah, we like it. <laughs> of course, they didn't have anything else. It was, it was a strange thing, you know, because I was just getting back. The one thing I want to add to uh, the, before you came on, a decision was made somewhere, maybe after the trailer, that long trailer, somewhere along the line, a decision was made to bring in, and this is the way it was explained to me, a different techno producer, composer, uh, for each scenes that we had in the second matrix, they had, you know, so the burly brawl was going to be prodigy. 
you were the, the freeway chase. Fluke was Zion. Uh, you know, they had all these areas. And what happened was people started, they didn't show up. They didn't, they were delivering stuff, but nowhere near the kind of material that I needed. And meanwhile, Don was writing all stuff for all these scenes, like just in case nothing, you know, I suppose nothing, came, you know, if, if there was no techno there, he was ready with orchestra stuff. And that's when I would start to bring your stuff in because I, like you were there and you had, you, you know, we were working it. We had an act. They didn't like it. You know, I don't think I mean, that could have been part of the matrix. <laughs> they, you know, I, I think a lot, not the Wachowskis didn't like it. They loved it. We were giving them answers. We were giving them solutions, but who didn't like it was, I think just the record people because it was becoming Juno. Remember, do you remember that? It was like too yeah. much Juno. How can we solve this record? It's like, <laughs> well, I, I remember I gave, I remember having that day where I, we were in the Paramore and I went to the studio section of the Paramore where we were recording. And Dana said, Oh, no, you've been locked out. Uh, Warner Brothers have locked you out. Wow. They're not paying, they're not paying for the sessions anymore. Oh, and I so I got on the phone immediately to, um, I can't remember someone at, at the Wachowski's office and said, this has happened. And immediately I got a phone call from uh, Joe Silver going, don't worry, Ben, you'll be back in there in a minute. And I think it's wow. sort of like he had jumped on a, jumped on a call, a conference call with uh, Jason Bentley and sort of decided to uh, castrate him mm -hmm. verbally on the phone with a bunch of other people. And, the doors were unlocked, but it was there was quite a big anti-Juno for oh, Warner I, I Brothers, mean, which I mean, Jason Benny was doing his job, which yeah. was just to secure Warner Brothers artists for their scenes. And right. um, if it had been any other film, I would have been out the door. But luckily for me, it was and for us really that it, it stayed on course. But I remember well, things like the Burley Brawl were. You look at the Burley Brawl. And why the prodigy won? I, I remember reading like the prodigy really pissed off about the fact that their track wasn't used, but it was the wrong BPM. I, no, I remember the track. I, it was it was about it, it amounted to about six different measures. It was it was just it sounded good, but it was just it wasn't very developed. It was like a minute and a half for an eight minute scene, fight scene. You know, it was like. Yeah, okay, Don took three or four minutes of it, but still five minutes or whatever it had to be. I don't remember what the Burley Brawl was, but, you know, somewhere around five minutes and with a with six measures, you know, you can't do it. So I did, I would try. I mean, you don't know this, but while you were working at the Paramore, sometimes I was, I'd have to be at the uh, editing, you know, facility where I had my, another Pro Tools set up, I think, and, and uh, I would have to cut in all these trucks that Jason was giving me for Burley Brawl or whatever, you know, all these different, pe you know, his people or whatever that he was bringing in, uh, and nothing was working. The, then the Wachowskis would come in and go, nope, I, we don't like it. It's not right. And, and I'd say, sorry. And then, he, and then the one thing I hated, you know, Jason was even giving me stuff that he had given me before. And I said, look, you don't know these guys, Jason, like I know them. They're not, you can't pull the wool over their eyes. I can't, I'm not going to show them. This might've pissed off the Warrior Brothers people too, because 
I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but I told Jason, I said, I'm not going to show the Wachowski something I've already showed him. And they said, no, to. I'm not going to do it. She cut it a little differently. I go, no, it's not that. It's like, they don't like that music. They don't want that beat, period. You know, it's like, and so I, you know, there were times I just said, no, give me something else, anything else, but I, you know, I'll try anything, but not that, not something that they've already refused. I'm not going to do that. I mean, look, this is a long time ago. It's hard to remember a lot of the stuff, but a few things stick out. And I'll tell you, I remember definitely that moment when you played Navras for the first time. It was almost like seeing the music, the Matrix for the first time. When I saw the first, you know, reel of the Matrix and going like, wow. You know, the first time I saw the mirror scene, you know, when he takes the pill, after he takes the pill, oh my God, he goes down that chute and the whole bit and wakes up in the pod. And I was like, ah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even though that was heavily green screen, that was not filled in. I can't actually remember that thing in Encino. I just remember it being such a, it sounds like it's the most complicated track I've ever been involved in, but it, like I do all of the tracks that I write generally, I'll go back and I'll rework and I'll go, no, that's a piece of shit. And change it again or i'll end up with two bars or something and start all over again and that's possibly about the only track that's ever been it was just very kinetic every bit just went it worked it worked it worked it worked it worked no one gave me anything that was shit you know like a shit recording like when lachman shanka came in to record her voice it was like we just we did one take and it was like wow that's done yeah, she was amazing. Yes. And so, I, I, that's another moment I remember. Deepak, when she came in, Deepak kneeled down and kissed her feet. I'll never forget that. He showed that kind of respect to that woman when she came in. I was like, wow. I think he apologized for doing using two rugs as well. Oh, yeah. Sort of oh, thing. Is that what I she think, did? Yeah, I think because I think in like the flute section, I remember we recorded the flutes in the down section and there was, and we had Lechmi Shanka by this time and all of that was working. And I kept on thinking, why isn't this working? Why isn't this working? So I put in the two flutes, both takes and, um, and it suddenly started to work. Well, he kind of answers her, doesn't he? On flute, she, she does something, you know, like a little melisma thing. And then he answers her. I, th I just, Listen to the track again before you, we started the session just to kind of remind myself. Like, What's it oh, sound yeah. like? <laughs> I remember I gave you a lot of those uh, orchestras, those those choir swells. I did like reverse things and, and like I, I, I gave you a whole bunch of them. And I remember I was surprised that you like, wow, right off the bat, you used that one right, right in the beginning. I was like, right on, Ed. You know, like, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that you also like when we got into the mixing we had the pianos but we it didn't really sound right I think there's doubling and then, and, I'm hearing strings in there right there's some doubling yeah, you did that you did that because I think we were listening to the piano and we thought it doesn't quite sound right and he went hang on a minute and he sort of went over to your uh, computer and chopped out the cellos doing it and then that you then put in those channels. And then there's, there's also some, uh, I think some, some pits in there and stuff, accents that, you know, you hear them some, sometimes separate. And that one's like, don't, don't, don't. 
I think what was really good about it was when the Wachowskis went in and listened to it at, was it O'Henry's or some other place? I remember bringing it the first time. I thought, I remember at least the completed, when we finally finished the nine and whatever it is, nine minute piece, because they, they eventually gave you a time when they knew how long the credit, they didn't do it. And you're right about the beginning. Your story might very well be the, the correct one of constantly had because oftentimes they'll start with like a two minute thing for the main credits of a one kind of music and then they go into the you know a little medley or something you know and by this time they had given you the timing and you were also instructed to fill it up completely right and um and i do remember and it was in uh warner brothers it was already we had already done like maybe it was a temp mix we hadn't done the 5.1 mix i i don't remember what we brought them what version but it was the final mix. And I remember them in that room with Joey's room, Joey Rand's room. And I remember them going, yes. This is, and, and you were like, it's got every, you know, all the ethnicities. They're like, yeah. Well, yeah. That's, well, that's what they really wanted, wasn't it? They wanted some sort of track to sum up the whole Matrix trilogy. And I think luckily it, for us that it really worked. And then it pleased me to no end, of course. At the premiere of the third one, uh, for the red carpet, that was the soundtrack. Navras was the soundtrack, completely out of loop. So it's like that was, and it fit. It just fit. It felt like the Matrix premiere. It's one of those things that just happens, I think, in the universe where magical things happen, and yeah. that was just one of them. In fact, that's well, supposed to be one of the biggest ones that's ever happened to me, where. Everything has been in alignment. You know, all the people you're working with bring in the best that they can do. And and it was just stunning. Yeah. So oh, that's like going back course. to the idea of like the credit that me and Don get the credit for it. But really, it's everyone that was involved in creating that yeah. that really yeah. deserved the credit. Yeah, but you were the ringleader. I used to watch you and observe how you would work and get things out of musicians that I've not seen a lot of people do, you, you know, I mean, a good, a good, uh, conductor will do it. Um, uh, I've seen it on a, on a scoring stage with an orchestra, but you were doing it with individuals, you know, and just taking take after take after take. And then you would, you know, somehow I think <laughs> remembering like, you know, the fifth, or maybe you went back and listened to them all. I, I don't know how you worked. You know, I wasn't there every minute of the time when you were working, but, but, uh, I was amazed how you worked with the musicians, you know, how you gave direction, how you were able to get ideas and, and actually improvise. And a lot of it was, oh, you can do that. Oh, what if you do this and this and this then? You know, like that kind of stuff. It was like, wow. They were great nights. They weren't Encino and just chilling out and much better than the second one, you know, because yeah, that second one was uh, just because we had so many things going with the game. And uh, there were so yeah. many variables in that second one that it was uh, the third one by, yeah, in contrast. What was lovely about that track in, for me, Lana was saying, oh, you know, it's going to be a massive hit all over the world. What I did love was that, you know, I'd get videotapes from like India of little girls dancing to it, or I'd get fire dancers wow. from Finland or Russia. And it sort of, it spread around the world in a very underground sort of way. And mm. It had an effect there. Perfect. How Matrix of it. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah. it's perfect metaphor, right? I think it was a really fantastic thing that just moved around the planet. Let me just wrap it up, this one, by saying thanks okay. for coming on. You're uh, welcome. So it would be great to go back maybe some more on some of the other cues that we were, were doing and what it felt like and some stories back from the past. I think people might enjoy them. See you later. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Thanks to Zig for coming along to Inside the Juno Reactor. Thanks also to Maro at Kenji Productions for producing these shows. If you want to follow the podcast, do hit the subscribe and hopefully visit us again inside the Juno Reactor.